Living on Earth relies on listeners like you to keep producing award-winning journalism for the planet. Please make your contribution today at LOE.org. Coal-fired power plants can produce dangerous levels of air pollution, and according to a new report published by the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, low-income communities of color are disproportionately affected. The report is based on a U.S. study by economist Adrian Wilson at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and sponsored by the NAACP, Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, and the Indigenous Environmental Network. Joining us now to discuss the findings is Jackie Patterson, director of the Climate Justice Initiative at the NAACP. Welcome to Living on Earth. Thank you. It's good to be here. For this report, you looked at all 378 coal-fired power plants, the big ones, over, I guess, 100 megawatts, right? Exactly, yes. And what did you find? We found that overall coal-fired power plants are not only disproportionately located in low-income communities, but they're also disproportionately located in communities of color, and sometimes not necessarily low-income communities of color, but communities of color in and of themselves. It's not always that they're being built in those communities. It often the plants are there and the communities come later. And part of the issue there is that the property values are lower in areas where these toxic facilities are. Um, in fact, the one recent study I read said they're at least 15% lower. So when, you, when you're talking about low-income communities or low-wealth communities, those are the areas that they can afford to buy into. In some communities, we found that sometimes it is that political piece. There's a lack of representation of the communities that are being host to the plants in the places that are making the decisions about the siting of these plants. So that we've seen happening more often than not in communities of color. Now, you went through and gave grades to each of the 378 coal-fired power plants in the U.S. Uh, how many did you flunk? So 75 got an F score. A little over 100 got a, a D or an F. We consider both of those to be failing. A large number of the failing plants were in the Midwest, particularly in Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana. Some of the ones that received the worst, worst, worst um, scores were the Fisk and Crawford plants, which fortunately in Chicago are, have been closed since we did our research. They closed this year. The Lakeshore plant in Cleveland is still operational. It also got a failing score. Our ranking ranked them based on the level of sulfur dioxide emissions, the level of nitrogen dioxide emissions, proximity to people in terms of population densities around the plant, the proportion of people who are people of color, and the proportion of people who are low income. Based on that, we ranked all 378. What are the negative health impacts felt by people living around these power plants? Some of the, the toxins that come from these plants, such as the sulfur dioxide and nitrogen oxide, are tied with various respiratory illnesses from exacerbating asthma attacks to um, actually being tied to lung cancer. Mercury is, has been tied to birth defects. Lead has been tied to learning difficulties, um, including attention deficit disorder and so forth. You can't really absolutely say that this plant caused this person's asthma or that, but you can say that in areas where these plants are in, you can track higher concentration of certain types of illnesses but that really is something that universities have to look at. And so we're really encouraging our branches to partner with universities in their areas to be able to do that kind of analysis. How aware are people living in these communities of the health impacts of coal fire power plant pollution? 
that's when we actually went out and started to speak with communities to say, okay, do you have a sense of this coal-fired power plant in your backyard? Do you understand what the connections might be to any um, illnesses that you find? And you really across the board, A, people weren't really aware of the presence of the plant. Other places, you know, like Chicago, where there's actually activism, there has been for 10 years around the plant, you might see awareness. But in places like um, New Albany, Indiana, for example, well, we visited with several families. One person knew about the plant because her, her father worked in the plant. She didn't, hadn't heard at all about any particular tie to any illnesses, but she did say that her father died of cancer that, that they thought potentially had started in his lungs, that he had never smoked a day in his life. And another person we met with there, again, didn't know of any potential health impacts of that plant, but he lived about a mile from the plant. His wife died of lung cancer and had never smoked a day in her life. So we found a lot of those types of stories where we would go to a community, they would talk about how half the people in their church were on respirators or half the kids in their school had asthma, but again, never really tied it to a coal plant until we started to have some of these conversations around it. So they, they tied to quality of life in terms of not being able to hang out their laundry because soot would cover their laundry or always having to wash their car because soot would be all over their car. There might be some level of awareness, but... I would say more times than not, there really wasn't. How successful have been the attempts to close down some of these plants? Across the board, folks have, I mean, in the last few years, various activists around the country have shut down, I believe, about 100 plants, but either shut down or slated for closure over the next couple of years. So certainly between activist action at the community level and recognition on the part of the federal government of the need to, to um, regulate pollution from these plants. So the passage uh, the, or the implementation, finalization of the uh, mercury and air toxics rule, for example, that regulates some of the very toxins we talked about earlier. They're starting to recognize the relationship between these plants and our environment. So between their, those regulations and the community activism, there is definitely success in shutting it down. Uh, right now, you're in Doha for the climate negotiations, so the UN climate negotiations. My question is, what role do you think environmental justice should play in the effort to slow climate disruption? Climate change, unfortunately, disproportionately impacts certain communities, definitely um, low-income communities and communities of color as well. So I think that the role and the voice of communities that are so affected by this should be in the forefront in terms of talking about solutions and talking about our imperative to act on the, on the most aggressive forms of solutions. We really have to be a lot smarter about making sure that those communities are at that table to bring that knowledge as well as to bring the passion born out of the fact that it's their very survival at that stake. Jackie Patterson is the director of the Climate Justice Initiative at the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure.